0: It does seem like a long time since we have been in our series in Romans, um, but uh, we are coming down the home stretch. Got uh, three more weekends in this uh, in this book, and uh, we've been journeying together. And the movement of the book has been a courtroom to the living room. And If you recall, when we started this series, uh, we talked about being in the courtroom, and you can actually capture this movement by looking at the words behind me on the canvases, but Romans chapters one through four was all about this reality that we need to come to and understand that, that as we stand before a holy God, before Christ, that we stand condemned and guilty, uh, and uh, God is judge, and he can pass judgment on us, we have no excuse Uh, but when we put our faith in Christ, all that guilt, all that shame, all that condemnation is transformed, and we are justified, which is a word that means that we are given right standing. The wrath of God was being revealed against uh, wickedness, but now the righteousness of God is being revealed, and it's in Christ, and we step out of the courtroom uh, by faith in Christ and no longer relating to God as judge, Yes, he's, he's still judge of the earth, but we, we don't relate to him as judge. Now we relate to him in the living room as father. In fact, we showed a quote early on in this series that the New Testament name for God is dad or father. He's our heavenly father. We are his sons and daughters. We are heirs. We have an inheritance that is ours, and we have this new life. In fact, Romans chapters 5 through 8 talk about life in the spirit. This new life in the Spirit, we're being changed and transformed, and there's struggle there as we're learning to walk in this new life, Uh, but that's captured in Romans 5 through 8. And as we're in the living room, Romans 9, 10, and 11 are addressing this question about where are uh, God's chosen people, the Jews? So few of them are responding to the good news of the gospel. Uh, There's so few of them here. Didn't God make a promise to Abraham that his descendants, that he'd be their God forever? So Paul is going to do in Romans 9, 10, and 11 is answer this question or talk about this idea of God's faithfulness in light of Israel's unbelief. We looked at those three chapters. And then when we get to Romans 12, and, and as we continue in this book to the end, now we hit this section of exhortations. These, these, now that you understand that you were guilty and you were condemned, but now there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, uh, and God is, he's, he's, hasn't forgotten his, his chosen people, uh, now here's a new way for you to live. In fact, Susan, when she spoke on Romans 12, she talked about upside-down living. That now you offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Don't be pressed in. Don't be uh, squeezed into this mold of thinking. Don't be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. In fact, if you look at it this way, Romans 12, 13, 14, 15, are all about what it's like to have a renewed mind or what it's like to live an upside-down life. So we prefer one another above ourselves. We do not repay evil for evil. Uh, We we use the gifts to serve one another. Romans 13, Steve taught us that we submit to governing authorities because they've been established by God, and there's tension even in that. And then when we get to Romans 14, in in my mind, what I imagine Paul doing here, he's imagining this living room now that's full of all these different people. We got people from from, uh, each generation, we got different nations involved here. We've got all of these different people. They've put their faith in Christ, but now we're in the living room and we look around and we all have different histories. We all have different backgrounds. In fact, some of us have different convictions. And so what Paul is going to address, he's going to be answering this question, how do I relate to people who think differently than I do about disputable matters? Now... The Bible is very clear and, 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 and speaks to many behaviors and attitudes and is clear on them. You know, do not murder. Uh, don't steal. Uh, don't lie. Uh, we, we know that you know, the take the life of an unborn child. Uh, that, that, that would be against uh, God's, God's word. We know that there are expressions of sexuality that, uh, are, that are righteous in a marriage relationship. Any sexual expression outside of a marriage between a man and a woman, that that would be described by God as as sinful. We have all these things that we're very clear on from Scripture as to what God's heart is on it, but there are some things that the Bible is silent on that people are not, if you know what I mean. There are some some things that we have questions about. It kind of seems gray in the Scriptures, but, but we have this tendency to make them black or white. So now that we're in this living room with all these people from, with different histories, how do we relate to each other? How do we treat each other? I mean, imagine you, you've been coming to church for a while and getting to know some guys and you're in a community group or you're in a small group and uh, the weather's great on the weekend, so you get a call and you're all gonna go out golfing. And uh, you're out on the golf course and you're having a great time with these Christian guys and uh, you're on hole number four and this guy reaches into his bag, and instead of pulling out a golf ball, he pulls out a cigar, and then, and then he lights it up and starts puffing on it, tees up his ball, and just smashes it down the middle of the fairway. You didn't see the ball because you're stuck on him sucking that, that cigar, because you grew up being told that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, and you would never put anything into your body that would harm it. Should you say something? Should you tell him what he's doing is wrong? Or maybe you and your wife, uh, uh, well, maybe maybe you and some of your girlfriends are are gonna go out for for lunch or go out for dinner and you're you're just enjoying fellowship and you're sitting around the table and the waiter comes up and uh, uh, you're gonna order food in a minute but now you're just gonna order some drinks and so you order a glass of wine and, uh, and, and then as the waiter brings the drinks for the whole group, it's a large group, it puts your glass of wine in front of you and as the waiter puts that, that glass of wine down on the table, you, you catch the eyes of someone sitting across from you. The, the other, this, this girl across the table, and she, she's like, she's, her face is white like she's seen a ghost. She's looking at you and looking at the, the glass of wine and, and then every time you pick it up and put it to your lips, she's staring at you and you're, you're wondering, what? What what did I do? Am I doing something wrong here? Or you and your husband, you know, you you got small kids, and that day finally comes, we get a babysitter. It's date night, and this is like uh, this is like being in a desert and finding an oasis. You are ah. Oh. You can sit down at dinner, you can have uninterrupted conversation, you don't have to worry about drinks being spilt, you don't have to discipline your kids, you'd like to discipline some other kids in the restaurant, but you don't have to (laughs) discipline, you're you're just, it's such a break. And you're going to go see a movie. So you go to the theater, you walk in to go see your movie, and you run into someone else from church, another couple, and you say hi to them, and you ask them what movie they're going to, maybe they're going to the same movie you are, and you find out they're going to another movie, and you are shocked because they're going to a movie with that rating, and you're troubled. And as you take your seat in in your theater, you're you're, you're troubled. You think, should I call somebody? Should I should I pull them out? What? How do we relate to people who have who, have, who think differently about disputable matters? In fact, even as I walk through some of those scenarios, some of you are thinking to yourself, that's not disputable. (laughs) How do we relate, how do we treat one another when when we're in the living room, we have these different convictions? Well, that's precisely what Paul is going to address in Romans chapter 14. He's answering this question, how do I treat people who think differently than I do on these areas where the Bible is silent, or the areas where where there seems to be some gray, how do I respond? Now we're gonna look, we're gonna chunk our way through Romans 14 and um, let me just give you some context here to remind you of what's happening in Rome. Early on in our study, we remembered and we, and we learned that uh, Emperor Claudius evicted and expelled the Jews from Rome. They're gone. There's a church in Rome, but now it's inhabited only by the, the Gentiles. They've ruled the roost now for uh, at least five years. They've been in charge. And uh, they don't have the historical background the Jewish Christians do. Remember, the Jews, before they encountered Christ, they observed the Mosaic Law, they had festivals, they had Holy Days, Sabbath. They had all this this background, but then they they, uh, put their faith in Christ. And they knew that they couldn't get right with God by works. They put their faith in Christ. They're gone from Rome. Gentiles are leading in the church. But then Emperor Claudius passes away. He dies. A new emperor comes in. His name is Nero. He allows the Jews to come back to Rome. So the Jewish people come back. Jewish Christians come back. And they come back into the living room. And what they see is happening in Rome disturbs them. Because they've got their history of the Mosaic dietary laws and and holy days and, and all that. And so there's conflict in the church, and it happens to be over the eating of meat, the drinking of wine, and the observance of holy days. The eating of meat because uh, they didn't know if this meat was butchered properly. In Mosaic law, you'd have to drain blood, and, uh, and, and they also don't know if the meat was first sacrificed to idols. They also don't know if that wine was first poured out to an idol in some sort of uh, pagan worship, which would have been common in those days. So they're choosing not to drink the meat, not to drink the wine, and they're still observing the Sabbath, and they come back to this church, and the Gentiles are not doing. They're eating the prime rib. They're drinking the Merlot. They're not worried about what day is a special holy day. They don't have these convictions, but the Jews, they do, so they're choosing just to stick with vegetables. They're vegetarians. The Gentiles are eating everything that's put before them and we have conflict. So, how are they supposed to treat one another? And Paul gets into this right away in Romans chapter 14. Let me read these first four verses of of this chapter. Paul says, accept other believers who are weak in faith and don't argue with them about what they think is right or wrong. For instance, one person believes it's all right to eat anything. But another believer with a sensitive conscience will eat only vegetables. Those who feel free to eat anything must not look down on those who don't. And those who don't eat certain foods must not condemn those who do, for God has accepted them. Who are you to condemn someone else's servants? Their own master will judge whether they stand or fall, and with the Lord's help, they will stand and receive his approval. Years ago, when I was a little kid, my, uh, my grandfather paid uh, for our family, my mom and dad and my brother and my sister, all of us, to go watch Snow White. It was Snow White's debut in Hong Kong. I was like six or seven years old. And we all went to the movie. We all watched Snow White. When the movie was over, mom and dad got all of us kids together and said, don't tell anyone you saw Snow White. <laughs> my parents... Uh, we're missionaries, and uh, other missionaries who thought that going to the movies was was bad. So don't, when you tell your kids, don't tell anyone you saw Snow White, what are your kids gonna do? <laughs> Guess what, we saw Snow White. I'm telling my friends, we saw Snow White. They who's Snow White? And, um, and this one friend of mine went and told his parents, apparently, that, that the Fowlers went and saw Snow White. A couple days later, my friend comes back to me, and you know, these are two seven-year-olds talking, and he says, Uh, you know snow white's bad say well why is snow white bad well she'll make you compromise your faith now i knew that he had no idea what the word compromise meant i had no idea what the word compromise meant but apparently once you see snow white you know what happens next right slippery slope what Paul is talking about here is he's helping us understand about, well, we, we, we have our convictions, but you need to understand some things. First, you need to understand there are people who say yes to things like Snow White, meat, wine, and a variety of other things. There are people who are, who are yes people, and then there are the no people. And if you look in chapter 14, verse 1, you, you see this, it's this description of being weak in faith. It says, accept other believers who are weak in faith. And then in verse two, it begins to describe them as people with a sensitive conscience. Chapter 15, verse one, it says we who are strong, that's Paul's description of himself, we who are strong must be considered of those who are sensitive. So what you see is these two groups of people. You have the no people that Paul describes as weak in faith. Not weak in their understanding of theology, not weak in their pursuit of God, just weak in their understanding of the freedoms. So they're weak in faith. And by the way, isn't it interesting? Because we would think, if I say no to something, I'm strong. But what Paul is saying, no, 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 when you say no to something, you're weak weak in faith. And it's not meant to be a derogatory term in any way. But the no people are weak in their faith, and then you have the strong people Over here, this is where Paul puts himself. These are the yes people. These are the people who are saying yes to wine, yes to the meat, saying yes to Snow White. They're saying yes to all these other things. They're gray areas. They're disputable matters. We're not talking about issues in which the Bible is very clear. We're talking about disputable matters here. And so Paul is, he's saying, look, you have strong yes people, you have weak no people, and you guys need to stop arguing with each other. What would they be arguing about? Who's right? That's what the argument would be about. I'm right, you're wrong. I'm right, you shouldn't eat meat. No, you're wrong. It's okay to eat meat. There's, there's this, this disunity, this disharmony that's taking place between these two groups and what Paul says is stop arguing. He says accept each other and, uh, and then he says to the people who are strong in their faith, the yes people, he says hey, look, You're saying yes to to meat and to Merlot and to other things. Um, You must not look down and make fun of people who say no. Don't mock someone who says no. Don't ridicule them. And then Paul says to the person, the no people, who are weak in their faith, he says, don't judge the spirituality of someone who says yes. Don't don't you judge or condemn them in their faith because they say yes. You you need to accept each other. No judging, no making fun. In fact, he goes on to say in in Romans 14 in verse 4, who are you to condemn someone else's servants? Their own master, he's speaking about God, about Jesus, their own master will judge whether they stand or fall. That term stand or fall is sort of a metaphor, meaning their own master will determine whether they stand in favor with the Father or fall out of favor with the Father. And here's where you can take a deep breath and relax because the next line says, they will stand and receive his approval. So if you're a yes person, don't make fun of the no person. And if you're a no person, don't you judge the spirituality of someone who says yes. except each other embrace each other in these two differing convictions and that's really the first answer to our question how do we relate to people who think differently than we do on these disputable matters accept one another love one another don't mock don't judge verse five picks up here the second answer to this question paul is asking in the same way some think one day is more holy than another day while others think every day is alike You should each be fully convinced that whichever day you choose is acceptable. Those who worship the Lord on a special day do it to honor him. Those who eat any kind of food do so to honor the Lord, since they give thanks to God before eating. And those who refuse to eat certain foods also want to please the Lord and give thanks to God. For we don't live for ourselves or die for ourselves. If we live, it's to honor the Lord. And if we die, it's to honor the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. And by the way, what's happening here is Paul is saying everything comes under the lordship of Christ. Everything in our lives comes under the lordship of Christ. Whether we're living or we're dying, it's all to the Lord. Continue in verse uh, verse nine here. Christ died and rose again for this very purpose, to be Lord both of the living and of the dead. So why do you condemn another believer? Why do you look down on another believer? Remember, we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For the scriptures say, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bend to me, and every tongue will confess and give praise to God. Yes, each of us will give a personal account to God. Let me just stop right there. Not too long ago, probably over 10 years ago, I was on... Um, our district executive committee for our district of churches. This region where there's a Christian and Missionary Alliance churches uh, that, which we are a part of. That includes Oregon, Washington, Northern Idaho, and Alaska. There's, there's over 100 churches in, in this region and we were tackling this, this topic of a uh, disputable matter. And it happened to be the topic of, of alcohol. Now, even as I talk about this topic, let me just stop here and just say, many of us in this room um, have some pretty strong opinions about, uh, about the use of alcohol. Some of you grew up with a dad who was an alcoholic or a mom was an alcoholic. Maybe you struggle with alcohol or a grandparent or maybe someone you love lost their life because of a drunk driver. And I want you to know that you know, these, these experiences that we are families of origin or experiences we have that are painful, they form some of our convictions. And we happened to be talking about this, this pretty volatile topic uh, of, of alcohol. And should a pastor have a glass of wine, or should a pastor not have a glass of wine? And when, uh, when the, the conversation was done, they asked me to write the letter to an, another national leader and express our, our, our conviction. And where we landed was, is that alcohol is not sinful, people are. Alcohol is not sinful. People are. The issue is not the alcohol. The issue really is self-control. Let me put it to you this way: You walk into a restaurant and you see me sitting at a table. I've got five beers in front of me. <laughs> Should you be concerned? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if I consume five beers, um, number, I'm 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 going to break the law probably lose my job there's all there's all kinds that that's a problem and you you would know it's a problem now imagine you walk in that same restaurant and i'm sitting at the dinner table there and i've got five pieces of pie in front of me and you think to yourself dude likes pie <laughs> but you just like you know just keep walking that's weird am i going to lose my job no No, but the issue's the same, isn't it? The issue's self-control. Why is it that I can be a fatty patty and be okay, (laughs) but if I express self-control, lost self-control in another area, it's not okay? See where I'm getting at here? Why don't we do a 12, 16-week series on the topic of gluttony? (laughs) Because no one become the church right <laughs> it's it hits too close to home do you think about how much we consume how much res- our earth's resources our country consumes how much how much spending that, that we do I mean just think about it and it, you start feeling convicted right well it's this topic of self-control self-control it happens to be a fruit of the spirit so whether it's pie or it's alcohol or if it's buying shoes or whatever it is, the issue is not the alcohol or the pie. The issue is you and I. We are sinful. Self-control is a fruit of the Spirit. So before we make our list of do's and don'ts, let's just major on who we're supposed to look like. Jesus. And what Paul is doing here is he's saying, look, you're going to have convictions on things and they're going to be different than other, things, other other convictions people have. And we're not talking, again, we're not talking about the things that the Bible speaks very clear on. We're talking about things that are gray or the Bible is silent on. And in, in, uh, in verse, I believe it's in verse 5, there's a line that I've actually underlined in my Bible. I think it's very important. It says, you should each be fully convinced Here's the deal. When I sent that letter off to that national leader, the response I got is, We're not changing because that's the way we've always done it. And if you're stuck in a conviction that that you can say yes to something or say no to something, and your, your reasoning is, That's the way we've always done it, I'm telling you, you need to think it through. Because wherever you land, whether it's being a yes person or a no person, you should be fully convinced. You should have thought this through. You need to put your mind to this. You need to pray about it so that you have become convinced in your heart. People will be convinced in another way, and that's okay because that's about them. In fact, Paul goes on to say, we're all gonna bend the knee before Jesus at the judgment seat of Christ. And guess what? You are gonna give a personal account for your life. And when you are bending the knee at the judgment seat of Christ, here's what you're not gonna be thinking. But God, what about Steve and all that pie he was eating? Or what about that person in the movie they went to? That's not what you're gonna be thinking. God is gonna be asking you to account for your life and you need to think through your convictions so that you can give a personal account. How do we treat people who think differently than we do on disputable matters? Well, first of all, we understand that there are some people who say yes, some people who say no. The yes people cannot mock the no person. They should respect them. The no person cannot judge the spirituality of the yes person. And wherever we land, we must be fully convinced, thought it through, so we know and we can give a personal account when we stand before Christ. And then Paul continues in verse 13. He says, so let's stop condemning each other. Decide instead to live in such a way that you you will not cause another believer to stumble and fall. I know and am convinced on the authority of the Lord Jesus that no food in and of itself is wrong to eat. But if someone believes it is wrong, then for that person, it is wrong. And if another another believer is distressed by what you eat, you are not acting in love if you eat it. Don't let your eating ruin someone for whom Christ died. Then you will not be criticized for doing something you believe is good. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of what we eat or drink, but of living a life of goodness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. If you serve Christ with this attitude, you will please God, and others will approve of you too. So then, let us aim for harmony in the church and try to build each other up. Don't tear apart the work of God over what you eat. Remember, all foods are acceptable, but it is wrong to eat something if it makes another person stumble. And Paul will continue to talk about this topic of a stumbling block. Uh, Donald Barnhouse has, uh, years ago, written this commentary on the, on the book of Romans. And he tells a story. He tells a story of speaking at some camp meetings. This is many years ago. He's speaking at some camp meetings. And about halfway through the week, some, some older women come up to him and say, uh, Dr. Barnhouse... Um, there is something happening here in our camp that is a scandal. Scandalous behavior happening here at camp and you need to address it. Barnhouse tells a story where he he says, he responds and says, well, what was the scandal? What's going on? The women who are grouped together have this one spokesman and the spokesman says, well, there are some younger women here at camp, who are not wearing stockings. (laughs) They're not wearing nylons. It's scandalous. And you need to go tell them to wear stockings. Barnhouse pauses and then responds to the women and says, do you know of the first time that women wore stockings? No. No. It was the 16th century, and they were Italian prostitutes. <laughs> to which the women responded, well, it doesn't matter because their, their actions are offending us. It is a stumbling block. You tell them that they must wear stockings. To which Barnhouse responded, ladies, You cannot hide your judgmental spirit by some supposed stumbling block. I will not talk to them. And Barnhouse hits the nail on the head on this concept of stumbling block. Because here's oftentimes how we interpret that section about a stumbling block. If I disagree with someone's conviction and they're doing it, I get to play the stumbling block card and make them stop doing it. That's not a stumbling block. Notice the language that Paul's using here. If you do something and it causes the the work of God to be ruined, or it will tear apart the work of God, what he's talking about is you're acting out in freedom on a disputable matter, causing someone to leave the faith, or someone's faith to be damaged. That is a stumbling block. Just because you disagree with somebody about smoking a cigar or going to a movie, that's not a stumbling block if it's it's not gonna cause you to leave the faith. Are you tracking with me on this? What happens often is that we play the stumbling block card and we hide our critical spirit behind this presupposed stumbling block which really is a picture of a rock in a path which people are walking, they don't see, they trip and they fall and they're injured. Now you're not injured. You just don't like how they're behaving. And you're judging them, judging their spirituality. That's not a stumbling block. But here's how this plays out. Suppose you are at that dinner, and you're sitting with people, and you don't know them very well. In fact, you don't know their history. You have no idea if this person uh, drinks alcohol or, 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 or doesn't drink. You don't know if they were in recovery, if they've been in, uh, dealt with addictive behaviors. You don't know their situation, their mom or their dad. You have no idea and I would say, until you know, don't order the, the glass of wine because what if it is a significant stumbling block? That, that's how it plays out. But if you're with people you know and they know you and maybe there's even someone who has a conviction that, that they don't want to drink wine but you know what, they're not gonna judge your spirituality. They're, they're mature enough to, to, to not judge you and you know there's freedom to do so. You, you can drink freely. What often happens is that on these areas that the Bible is silent on, or they're gray, we want all of us to look the same and all think the same way. And I'm telling you, that's not unity. Unity is when people are gathered together. Yes, our unity is in Christ. By faith in Christ, we went from the courtroom to the living room. But we get here and we have all this history, of these backgrounds of which, uh, that we bring into the living room. The Bible is very clear on many behaviors, but in the ones that they're silent on, we don't have to shout our conviction. What we can do is we can hold them because we thought them through, and we can accept one another. That is unity. Let me just give you a, a, a picture of that uh, on the piano over here. I am not a piano player, so Laura, Laura Scherer's job is safe. But uh, I put it this way. Um, let's just say that uh, in the context of our message the, the text here this is meat and this is Merlot glass of wine and this is mushrooms because I think it's a vegetable and it starts the letter M meat Merlot mushrooms and you get around with some people and, um, and they are like no we, we don't eat meat here no, no meat uh, we, don't, we don't drink wine here, no, no Merlot. We just eat mushrooms. We eat mushrooms all day long. We eat mushrooms, that's our song. We love mushrooms. Everything we do is about mushrooms. We preach on mushrooms. We study mushrooms. That's all we do. It gets irritating after a while, doesn't it? But stick with me because if you want to be holy, you get, you, the mushroom thing is the way you want to go. Is that unity? that unity? That's, that's the first time I ever got applause for playing a piano. <laughs> and one note, mind you. That's not unity, that's uniformity. That's uniformity. What's more beautiful, this? Or this? Like that, that gets irritating after a while. And yet the tendency for us is is that, hey, if you're going to be a Christian, (laughs) you don't don't eat the prime rib. Pass on the prime rib. No, no, that's that's not what the scriptures say. You may have that in your background. That may be your conviction. You've thought it through. But accept my conviction because I I, I like prime rib. You you may be saying yes to Merlot. But I may be saying, no, you, you don't. You don't know, I thought this through and I'm, I, I, don't, I don't drink alcohol. And... Whatever the conviction is, how we treat each other is we don't look down on each other. We don't judge each other's spirituality based on disputable matters. We become fully convinced in our own minds knowing that one day we will bow the knee to Jesus and give a personal account. And that the things that I engage in, I want to make sure they're not going to cause someone to to leave the faith or be injured in their faith. And know that I can engage or choose not to engage in a disputable matter in the safety of family where we all sing perhaps a different note. That's how we treat one another in regards to our differing convictions and our different thoughts on these disputable matters.